Welcome to the World Art Now podcast, exploring the world through the material culture of its people, in association with Michael Backman Limited. Hi, it's Michael Backman and Sarah Corbett, and we're looking at Berber items today. Uh, the Berber people are mostly spread across northern Africa, and uh, there's a population of perhaps 20, 30, or 50 million. It's hard to know exactly because it depends how you define what a Berber person is. The Berbers are also known as the Amazigh, and uh, they have their own language. Um, remind me, Sarah, what's the language? It's called Tifna. That's right, Tifna, Tifna. And it's very, very geometric. It, it's not, not really like Arabic. It's, it's really very different. In fact, I believe that um, it, it's still being worked out where this language came from, certainly where the script came from. Now, the Berbers are the, uh, almost um, entirely Islamic, and they're spread across uh, the Maghreb and other countries in northern Africa. So it's Morocco, Algeria, Tunisia, Libya, Mauritania, uh, Mali, Niger, and parts of Egypt. The majority of, of the, the Berbers in North Africa, in the western part of Egypt, uh, are, are believed to be also uh, of Berber origin, but they themselves often don't self-identify, so this is where we get the disparity in, in the numbers. Interest, interestingly, the, the term Berber um, is a variation of, of the Greek word barbaros, which means barbarian. So that uh, gives a, a, a hint as to how uh, the Berbers were perceived from, from the Europe end of the Mediterranean in the past. Um, and, and then the other word for, for the, uh, the Berbers, the Amazia, um, is, a, is a Tuareg word for noble, and the Tuareg are a, are a subset of, of the Berbers who are based mostly in, in uh, southern Morocco and, and Mali. Now, what we've got with us here uh, are a series of objects from some of these countries, but the one unifying theme is that they're all Berber. And so Sarah and I are going to talk about these pieces. And I think the first piece that we can turn to is a very interesting ring that I'm now holding. It's made of silver. Sarah, could you tell us something about this piece? Certainly a design that um, I personally enjoy. It's a piece of jewellery that I own myself. It's a Malian piece and it's a ring made from silver and made in several joined panels to create a very tall piece of jewellery, mm. which is um, said to represent the mosque at Jenny. Yes, um, yes. It's certainly very architectural. It's certainly a very architectural piece which appeals to me greatly. Um, the Obviously, it's a sign of devotion to wear a ring that represents the centre of right. um, Islam yes. in the country and a very famous mosque too. Um, also, it's a very tall ring, which yes. at first instance doesn't seem like a very practical thing, but there is a kudos to your jewellery and it shows status. If you are someone who's nomadic and rides a camel, then your jewellery needs to be tall to be visible to those people who see you on your <laughs> right. camel. Right. So rather than wearing a broad flat ring to show your status and wealth by the yes. amount of the precious silver included in the piece, you would adopt styles of jewellery which were tall and therefore could be seen by those on the ground whilst you were riding a camel nomadically. It's going to say, uh, one interesting thing to me about it is that it looks like a Jewish wedding ring, the traditional 
wedding rings that Jewish people in Europe would wear, but very tall and architectural yeah, and so on. I think that it's another type of jewellery which I personally enjoy. And again, it has that stature and that height. And the relationship between them may come from the fact that there were many Jewish Berbers yes. in the um, North African diaspora that wore that traditional jewellery and maybe there's a connection there between yes, local yes. styles. It's something that certainly would be interesting to investigate more. What yeah. I find especially pleasing about the example here is the obvious wear at the contact point at the top of the piece and the construction inside. And I have mm. to say that I've seen recent copies of this style made and they're mostly cast pieces in the main body that are very roughly hewn together. But when you see a piece that's original, you can see that it's separate elements that have been turned and layered on top of one another and the silversmithing work on the inside of the ring is very apparent as something that's done with skill in small pieces rather than one cast heavier right. and um, less defined and intricate. There are silver balls piece. over it, would you say that, that that's sort of applied spherical work? Um, it is. Granulation yes, is a granulation. big deal mm. in North Africa mm. and the more Basic pieces of jewellery that belong to the less wealthy people don't show granulation because they add a lot of silver weight to a piece of jewellery. So if a piece has granulation added, it shows wealth. So granulation right. is a good indicator that I can afford this sumptuous piece of jewellery and I can afford to add extra silver weight to it yes. in the form of these granulated pieces of silver, which are formed by dropping silver as it melts from the rod into water to create the spheres. Right, yes. And, and then, then they're, they're applied on. afterwards. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So this this is a it's a big showy ring, but it, it is for a man, isn't it? It is a man yes. piece of jewellery. Yes, interesting. Uh, the generally the only jewellery that a man would wear um, would be one ring. Right. And then he would have an ornate knife. Yes. And maybe some of the Tuareg guys would have a headdress yes. which would um, be adorned with right. chabot and kitab to hold protective sacred And of course, items. being for a man, it, it's made of silver, it's not gold, because that would be forbidden, that would be haram under uh, uh, Islamic uh, strictures for men. Traditionally, in the Sahara and in Morocco, especially in the South, gold isn't seen as a lucky thing to wear. Okay. Silver is perceived to be healing and protective. Mm. Gold, potentially because of raids from the Huns in the Sahara, right. is associated with jinn. Okay. It attracts yes. jinn and it will bring like potentially negative things to yes. your world. Yes. Whereas the Arab concept, which comes from the north of Morocco yes. um, and spreads into the Berber territories, very much extols the virtues and the importance of owning gold. Right. Now we should turn to something that women would wear. How about uh, this pair of very interesting rings that we've got, which are, I believe are, are to be worn in the hair. Again, they're from Morocco. They are. These are from the Anti-Atlas region, and in particular one very tiny village, which is called Akka. Right. Um, practical jewellery. They're obviously a show of wealth they're very big sometimes people in morocco will tell you that these are finger rings and try and sell them separately so to find a good match pair like this is a very rewarding thing to right, see right but they're very heavy so how they're, are they worn in the hair they're um, attached to the end of a plait 
Ah. Or a beaded strand right, in the right. absence of the hair showing. But very practically, they contain wool, which is soaked in perfumed oils. So there's a tradition of adorning the hair. Hair and healthy hair is associated with fertility. Oh, and yes, yes. so to adorn your hair, <clears throat> to bring attention to that as mm -hmm. a young woman, potential bride, mm. it... it it shows a connection to fertility and also in areas where the hammam is maybe a once or twice weekly ritual having right. perfumed amulets to hang about your body yes. and your hair yes. during the week brings a pleasant aroma at all times. Right, right. Yes, it's interesting because these are quite greasy as well, so it's probably come from the hair, but also, as you say, but from the... But also layers the, of oil. Yes, yes, exactly, the oil. They're also enameled underneath the, 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 the sort of the oil caked on it. You can see some enameling, and that's a very common thing that you see in North Africa, isn't it? It's uh, a really popular technique of of um, creating colour and mm. particular groups will have a history of enamelling and other villages nearby will not. So it's an indicator of origin. Right. Um, but also of wealth. Yes. And the type of glass that's used yeah. throughout time changes, so it helps with dating processes. We can see that the enamelling on these pieces is done using early Venetian glass. Oh, really? Um, so, so they would actually get like maybe glass beads and melt them down Absolutely. to make. Oh, I see. Damaged so that's the beads source. would be ground. Ah, okay, right. Into a powder right. and then lamp worked onto the surface. Ah. I've actually um, not only seen that being done, but taken part in the process right. in a right. village where silver making still happens quite close actually to where these originate. Okay. And again, yep. the granulation mm. exists here. We yes. can see yes. that in a quite a rudimentary sense. The granulation has been added to the surface again, an indicator of wealth and status. So, and again, like the Tuareg ring that we just looked at, these uh, they have the basic ring, and then they have like almost an architectural thing on top. It, it's very tall. These do. And, yeah, and and so quite similar to the last ring that we looked at. Yeah, there's certainly a correlation in design and stylized, mm, even though mm. different purposes, different people. And different sex. These are, again, yeah, for women. Of course, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, wonderful. Um, so the next object uh, that we've got here from the Berbers um, is... Let's go for this piece. This um, Because this is, returning back to men, this is a very masculine piece. And what it is, is uh, it, it's... Uh, it's made from stone and it's uh, a mould for, um, well, for musket balls, really. And uh, so t can you tell us something more about this, Sarah? Sure. This is an unusual piece to find and it's something that, during my extensive travels in Morocco, is something that an example of this type wouldn't occur too often. Right. Um, it's made from robust hard stone, which in two parts opens to reveal areas indented inside and joined by small channels to allow lead to be run inside to make shot for a flintlock or a musket. Mm. Um, this piece is likely to have come from the Anti-Atlas region in the south. Yes. Um, and I think it's got really good age to it. It's Yes, it yeah. feels very, it's made of stone, but it's very waxy, like it, it's very, um, like the contours on, on the outside have been rubbed away and, and, and so on, it just has a very good feel in the hand. The other good thing is that it's, it's in two parts and you, when you put them together, it, they're a perfectly matched pair. And I can imagine often uh, 
uh, if you're visiting dealers and so on in Morocco, um, they'd be putting unmatched pairs together to, to try and suggest a match. I think that's why it's difficult to find a good set like mm, this mm. in um, the country of origin, because things weren't initially but this was a tool this is a utility item yes and the wear and handling on it yes you know that brings that across and until they were seen and perceived to be of value in morocco they wouldn't have been preserved as pairs so something that's been out of the country for some time has been preserved as an important pair yes um and that's you know, really gratifying to see. Yeah, yeah. What's interesting, even though it's utilitarian, as you say, there is still some geometric sort of designs etched onto some parts of it, some zigzag work and, and so on. Um, and that's, um, I mean, it's not particularly decorative, but it's, um, the thing about this piece is just the patina. The, it's, it almost glows the, with age and use. Yeah, the contact wear is very much a piece that's been used. And yes. the decoration which you mention is an undulating line which is um, locally known as zil. Right. This line, and you find it in personal items. Okay. And it's to protect and bring positivity right. to the use of something or right. the wearing of something. Right. So this undulating line is something that occurs in various objects from North Africa and it relates to the undulating sound. Right. Do you think made. it also could be like a um, like a water symbol as well, because it's um, sort of continuous? I know in Africa, for example, often uh, the end of the ewer uh, will have sort of zigzags and so on to suggest water flow. But you, you don't think it could be connected to maybe water flow and fertility and prosperity like that, or is it drawing a too too much of a long bow, perhaps? My understanding of it within Berber culture right. is a protection. Okay. And also. If you've witnessed a traditional real fantasia, the sound that the fantasia riders make right, as so a fantasia they ride, being a oh um, sorry yeah of course a fantasia is nowadays a very symbolic show of power where men on huge powerful stallions gallop and fire the right. flintlock rifles. Right. But the sound they make on their horses as they approach is this ululating sound. Oh, I see. So okay. I think that it's right. more likely that it's tied into that tradition right. than maybe some of the sub-Saharan traditions around water. Yes, yep, okay. That's, yes, interesting. Right, so uh, there's one more piece for us to discuss today and it is, and of course, another Berber piece because that's what we're talking about. And it's a very complicated, complex, elaborate necklace of many parts with coral and, and uh, silver enamel pieces and so on. There's a box at the bottom. So I believe this is from the Berbers of Algeria, but Sarah, tell us more. Sure, definitely another Berber piece and you're perfectly right on location. This is an Algerian piece. Mm. It comes from the Kabil people. Yes, um, so the Kabil Berbers. Yeah, they're, they're a subsection of Berber people right. who um, live in Algeria. Their work is, for me, always instantly recognisable, and because of its colour, it's and joyful. It's, yeah, it's yes. really joyful. It's very dynamic and colourful, um, very bright. There's, I've seen many Kabil pieces. This piece, for me, has something very pure as a connection to the person that it belonged to. Yes, as well as the very ordered um, designs within the silver work. Yes. 
is a cacophony of joyful pieces together, shining with right. branch coral, which is then also used in the pendants right. and the beads. And the coral is very red. Is it uh, from the Mediterranean? Do this, you think? Yes, or? this is Algerian okay. Mediterranean coral. Right. Okay. Um, and there's a lot of it. There's there's many many pieces. Um, and it's all, all of a, an exceptionally good quality. There's right. many qualities of coral to be found in North Africa. This is. Um, a delight to see because okay. it's all of a very very nice standard as are the cabochons of coral mm. which are set into the piece right and into, into the silver the enameled yeah. silver beads and so on a lot of there's this piece has a lot of coral parts segments and then a lot of uh, silver beads come off which have been enameled and then the ends of a lot of these beads have uh, cabochons of, of coral worked in and set into the ends of the beads so it's quite elaborate quite and quite heavy. But so do you think, um, would you have gone to like a market and just bought this piece or, or, this or commissioned it? This is a piece it? How, that how, how has been gathered piece by piece right. as wealth right. by a woman. Right. There's certain things that set this apart from the more usual pieces I see. Yes. It's got an addition of pieces that have been gathered as a kind of bank account this is the wealth of a woman and she has added beads to this in yes. a multi-stranded <clears throat> fashion sometimes in a bit of a chaotic fashion to a western eye but she has chosen elements that are high quality that are valuable and that she enjoys yes. personally and added them to a necklace that she would wear herself to show her status right, right. in her community at weddings at musams at you know, annual events throughout the mm, Muslim calendar. Mm. So she's built it up over time. So when she had spare money, she might have gone to the marketplace, bought a new element, added it on in herself. Because we can see it's all, it's not actually connected together with, with say, wire or, or silver chain. It, it's actually on, on some string, I think, some cotton or some wool or something like that. Yeah, it is. And, and that, although to a Westerner it seems strange, yes, this is completely yes. typical right. of a genuine piece. Right, so right. We have um, pieces that were genuine belonging to a woman within mm. a culture mm. and it's part of the material culture of mm. the place, the time and that person's choices in design. To find something that hasn't been restrung to the taste of tourists yes. is unusual at least and it's a rare thing now. Yes, yes. Tourism and has been... Yes big thing in North Africa for a long time. Wealth yes. comes from tourism. Yes. And to take a necklace of this type and turn it into 20 necklaces which would appeal to tourists mm. would make mm. financial sense to dealers. Mm. But of course, it takes away the pure essence of something which is an indication of the taste, the style, and the manner in which this piece was created mm. culturally. That's a marvellous piece, and, and as you say, I mean, it, it's different to what we we would normally expect, you know, to, to the Western sense, to the Western eye, because it's not symmetrical. And uh, that's certainly one point of difference, and as you say, it's not strung conventionally on, on metal or, or, or um, silver chain or something like that. Of course, the other thing is that it has a box down the bottom, and the box is enamelled on both sides, and it has some pendant beads coming off it and so on. Is the box, what, what would the box hold? 
The box is to hold protective writings and they can take different forms. Um, inside, sealed into it, would be pieces of paper which may hold particular favourite verses of the Quran. Mm. They may hold mm. magical number squares. Yes. Often little leaflets with the 99 names of Allah written into them right. would potentially be included. Yes. And the person that commissioned it, had it sealed with things that were personal to them inside. Right. It's called kitab, which yes. means book, Yes. and it's because it contains protective writing. So do you think that things are still inside these elements? Oh yes, I'm certain they will wow. be. Wow, wow, yeah, okay, I'm that's, certain they that's will very be. interesting to know. Um, I bought a very damaged kitab many years ago right. and was able to remove the papers from inside and that's how I know exactly what was in there. Right, and fascinating. Also mm. the age of those things had clearly mm. been collected and added to as a family over time right. and recommissioned into pieces. So there could be things from different dates within yes. there gathered yes. together by a family. That so, so it's like a put together piece but it's been put together for the right reasons. It hasn't been put together by a dealer at the moment to make it attractive for sale. It's actually over the history of a family and having been passed from generation to generation, probably from mother to daughter and so on, yeah, they've built up a necklace over time with special pieces. Absolutely, and a piece like this is so important to preserve in this format. Yes. And to find something which hasn't been altered to the tastes of um, visitors yes. is a really special thing now. It's um, unlikely that you will come across something in its original format too often in any of the countries of origin. So to find something that has this unique quality is for me really special and speaks of the history of the person mm, that made it mm. and her people. Yeah, indeed. Well, thank you. That's it's been really interesting talking about the Berbers of North Africa. Um, they're they're a large group. They're an important group. People often come in contact with them when when of course you travel to you know world touristed countries like Morocco and 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 so on. But there are to, it's very diverse, but but it's fascinating and it's very complicated. So I think it's been terribly interesting to talk about this. You have been listening to the World Art Now podcast in association with Michael Backman Limited. To hear more, visit worldartnow.com.